Hey there, welcome to the Next Level Nutrition Biz Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Long, business coach for nutritionists. I help nutritionists just like you create and launch their business and sign their first high-paying client. In this podcast, you'll learn practical strategies to start and grow your nutrition business that you can implement right away. You'll also hear from a ton of guests who have started their own thriving nutrition businesses and share what they've learned throughout their journey. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Next Level Nutrition Biz podcast. So today we're doing something a little different. And what I did was actually pull the audio recording from one of the trainings inside my online chorus, Launch Your Nutrition Biz. We have Sharon Van in here, who is a lawyer and nutritionist to answer all of your top legal questions. So everything you might be thinking of when it comes to contracts, when it comes to legalities around your nutrition business, any of those burning questions we have answered in this q and session. And again, this is a recording pulled from my chorus, Launch Your Nutrition Biz. Inside the chorus, not only do you get an entire set of trainings and templates and tools to actually start your nutrition business and sign your first paying clients, but you also get access to multiple guest expert trainings, including this Q&A session with Sharon, also a legal one-on-one session with Sharon, teaching you how to legally protect your business. There is a bookkeeping basics uh, training with Grow CPA, teaching you how to keep track of your business expenses and revenue. We have a business planning session with Dietitian Success Center, teaching you how to set up your business year for success. We have a website design and copy training with Virtual Balance, teaching you how to design your website and write your copy. We also have a branding your website training with Ashley Sorokas teaching you how to design a beautifully branded and strategic website. And last but not least, we have an SEO basics training with Organically Ash teaching you how to get found on Google. So if you are looking for support with starting your nutrition business and signing those first paying clients, and you want to learn from some of our industry's best experts, I highly suggest you check out Launch Your Nutrition Biz by going to launchyournutritionbiz.com. Okay, let's get into this legal Q&A session with Sharon from Thrive Legal Care. So welcome everybody today. I have Sharon from Thrive Legal Care here to answer all of your legal questions. Um, we're gonna do a bit of a Q&A style. So these are questions that I received from my Launch Your Nutrition Biz students and questions that Sharon receives in her own practice, um, mostly coming from health and wellness professionals, You know, questions that are going around in our industry. So let's jump right in again, Sharon. <clears throat> Sorry, Sharon, thank you for being here. I'm really excited to have you answer all of these questions. Um, Maybe you can just like quickly give a little background on who you are, your background with nutrition and um, the legal part as well. Yes, thanks, Stephanie. I'm happy to. And thank you for having me back. This is my second time sharing my uh, perspectives with your community. And I'm so happy because I am a nutritionist myself. I started as a lawyer and I practiced law in the healthcare space for around 14 years. And then I decided to make a career shift and become a nutritionist. And I thought that would be my new path. And lo and behold, when I was in nutrition school, like all of you, we don't learn how to run a business from the legal side. And there's just so many gaps in in what we're taught. And so people started asking me questions and I started finding myself advising friends and colleagues. And one thing led to another. And I realized there is a huge need for 
the nutrition world to have good, reliable information that is tailor-made to our specific needs because we really do have specific legal needs. So I realize I'm the person to fill that, that space. And so I am a practicing nutritionist and I also run a legal practice called Thrive Legal Care, as you mentioned, Stephanie, and I also have a template shop called the TLC Source. So I'm here for all your legal needs and I'm happy to jump into this conversation with you. Yeah, I I love that your background's in nutrition and legal because you know you you'll you're really the right person to answer these like nitty-gritty questions that probably a lot of lawyers, you know, know maybe a larger scope, but I feel like because you're familiar with the nutrition background, you probably know more of the nuances really well. And some of those questions would probably make a lot more sense to you than maybe somebody just um practicing like general law. Would you say that's the case usually? Yeah, very much so. And in particular, the online space, which we've all shifted toward in the last few years. And that's an important distinction because there are different legal nuances when you have a practice that's online compared to brick and mortar. So I cover both, but the online space presents its own set of issues. So you really want somebody who knows that terrain and me myself having three online businesses, I, I know this inside out from the legal side and from the business owner side and nutritionist side as well. So yeah, absolutely. Okay. So let's just jump in. I know we've got quite a few questions and then you have some kind of in your toolkit we can get to as well. Um, so the first one, somebody asked uh, something I'm actually curious of myself as well is, are there any legal ramifications for using a trademarked name? So something maybe like uh, Weight Watchers or all I can think of is like Atkins Diet or something that's, you know, a household name. Can you use this um, name or word on your website or social media? And just to give you like a bit of, um, I actually know who submitted this question. And the person was wondering if, you know, in the copy on their website, they can almost say like, you know, you're sick and tired of like, um, you know, having to go back to Weight Watchers or count points or X, Y, Z, like, are they allowed to say that? Or are there some legal um, ramifications? Hmm. Okay. So first of all, in a general sense, there's no issue with referring to a trade name, like a trademark name, like Weight Watchers on your website. And also just FYI, you don't even have to use that little R in the symbol. That is a trademark name. That's for them to use. You don't have to worry about that. So in general, totally fine to use it. Now, in the specific context that you mentioned, this situation where you might have some website copy that says, you know, are you tired of Weight Watchers? I would strongly encourage not referring to a specific, very well-known brand in that way because it may come across as disparaging. Mm -hmm. You could certainly say tired of counting points because you're not pointing to a specific company and the counting points is, you know, quite general. So just really be careful of the context and how your message might be construed, right? Because you yeah. don't want that to come back on you as, you know, libel or defamation or just an inappropriate way of using it. So be respectful. Um, it's not a copyright infringement or a trademark infringement, but just kind of, it comes back to just respectfully acknowledging that, that company. So I hope that answers the question. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, who would ever find out? Like, I know we want to do things, you know, very legal by the book. We want to, you know, do have our best everybody's best interest at heart, but who would ever be the one to find out something might be existing on your website that is like going against, um, or, you know, maybe like comments that are like inappropriate against a company or something like that. 
Yeah. So in the world of intellectual property, which includes trademarks and copyright, it is up to the intellectual property holder. So in this case, let's say it's Weight Watchers. It's up to them and their legal department or somebody from their comms department to self-police their own intellectual property. So that means they have to be on the lookout for any infringing uses. And if they find that, just they might come across it in social media or somebody else's website, they have every right to contact that user and take a number of steps to get them to stop. It would usually start with a friendly request. And then if that doesn't uh, yield the result, they might escalate it. So it, it is a kind of a, a self-policing system when it comes to intellectual property. Now, it could also arise in another way. There could be somebody who sees this use and it just rubs them the wrong way. They could notify Weight Watchers or the intellectual property holder, like it, there's really no telling. And especially online, you just don't know who's going to see your content because it's it's available to the world. So that's why you just really want to be cautious and be respectful because believe it or not, there are some people out there who have an ax to grind, even if they don't work for Weight Watchers, they have no affiliation with Weight Watchers. They just might want to, they just might have it in for you for some reason. They might complain to Weight Watchers or whomever. So just be very yeah. careful. The, the World Wide Web, it's worldwide. So okay. keep that in mind. Okay. So maybe if you're going to use any like trademark names, like make sure that it's not in like a disparaging way, like make sh making sure it's kind of like an unbiased or you're just using the word and it has no kind of attachment to it. Um, yeah. Or don't use the word altogether and use more like um, descriptive words that someone might make a self-association. Sure. And, and and just to be clear, it doesn't mean you can't critique a company. Okay. Um, certainly, if that's in line with your messaging, again, do it in a respectful way. But you you know, we have free speech and you can critique yeah. a company and its its ways, but just be mindful of how it might be perceived. So okay. don't don't be afraid, like you don't want to completely avoid it, but just be cautious, right? And back up your sources and have 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 some grounding to whatever you're saying, like corroborate it or make it a, you know, a compelling argument if you are going to critique. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for that. That's very helpful because I think that people shy away from it a lot. So to have kind of that uh, legal perspective is, is very, very helpful. Yeah, um, well, actually, later yeah. on at the end, I'll I'll share a link because I have a I have a blog post on my website where I do critique Weight Watchers and okay. I've done it respectfully. So I'll share it as an example, so you can kind of see what I mean, like how to contextualize it and what what is kind of like a fair critique. So yeah. That's Makes a lot of sense for people. I'll share the link. Yeah. And I'll put that for those that might be listening in the podcast. I'll put that in the show notes so you can read that, which again, kind of goes to the point. It's so nice that you have a nutrition background because then you really can see, you know, you know, everything we're asking in terms of our questions and maybe you have some practical experience with it as well. Yeah. Okay. The next question we got was how do I go about making supplement recommendations for clients without making it seem like I'm prescribing something to them, like it's prescribing a supplement or even promising that it will work. Now, the person that asked this question lives in California. So I think they were specifically curious, like with their own state laws. So I don't know if there's like a blanket answer to this or if it's going to depend, you know, province by province, state by state, but just curious your thoughts on this. Okay, so there's a few things going on here. So first of all, this applies to everybody, no matter where you live, and no matter what what um, how you practice nutrition or you know what your scope is. 
You never want to make promises ever about anything, whether it's supplements, your services, a program, never promise because you cannot, but you can't, you can't fulfill your promise to somebody when you're trying to sell a service or a product. So, you know, it's that, that kind of like cliche of undersell over deliver, because if you make promises or you are overemphasizing results that you can achieve for people, they might hold you to that. And you don't want to put yourself in that position. So I always caution, put your best foot forward. Of course, market yourself. Of course, use very compelling marketing copy, use testimonials, you know, allow your offerings to really, um, put their best foot forward, but don't do it in a way where you are promising somebody because you can't deliver that. So I like to encourage people to avoid certain words like promise, guarantee, um, you, this will happen or, um, you know, like if a, then B, you Mm want to make it a little bit more loose or wishy-washy. So you want to use words that convey effectiveness without a promise. So I love the word help. This program will help you achieve this or feel this way. This program can improve. This can help enhance. So these kinds of words that are very upward and onward and they're affirmative and they're supportive without making a promise. So it's a subtlety and you you know, really want to check your website copy and your, you know, if you have a sales funnel, all of that, just be really careful of how you're doing it. And just a caution, if you are working with a professional um, copywriter or somebody who's a marketing expert, they might not always understand the restrictions on certain kinds of professionals, particularly in the health and wellness space. And they may be over emphatic about some of the promises that they put in their, in their copy. So just be careful about that. And you just have to make sure you feel confident that you're not crossing any lines. Yes. Okay. Okay. So that's, that's the first part. The second part is with supplements and any kind of products, like any therapeutic products. Yeah. You don't want to be promising it. Um, you can have a very explicit disclaimer that, this product may not have been approved by Health Canada or the FDA in the USA. Uh, so you can, that's one way to kind of manage your liability. The other thing is um, for California, I don't know off the top of my head exactly what the scope is for nutritionists, but it sounds like this person is aware and they, um, they're they being cautious, which is great. Mm-hmm. So Um, just verify with the laws of California, if nutrition is a nutrition and or dietetics is Mm -hmm. regulated in that state, what it says for those individuals, and then just make sure you're not crossing those lines. Yeah. Did I answer answer that question? Yeah, that makes sense. And I had it like an offshoot question to that, because you did say something like using the word help versus like promise or guarantee. Um, And you had said like, um, this can help you know, and having more of that upward statement. Now, I guess like devil's advocate is thinking, you know, saying this can help. Is that an affirmative statement that almost like, in a sense, someone could take as promise or should we be using like this may help and almost like using words that are like, you know, staying a little bit like, okay, this can or cannot and not saying something like that someone could um, misconstrue as like a promise, even if we didn't intend it to be. Yeah, very good point. It, there's many shades here, right? There's many like shades yeah. of gray. 
And yes, I I want you to err on the side of not overpromising. And at the same time, I recognize and respect that you want your, your marketing copy is designed to sell. That that is why you have marketing copies. So just kind of run it through the filter of is it overpromising? And then you want to run it through the filter of, but is it too cautious? Like is it like it may help? Like that, that doesn't sound very convincing. So I think help is a pretty safe word because. There's help is a spectrum. It doesn't mean help will take you all the way there. It might mean it might help you a little bit, not necessarily yeah. the whole way. So that's why I like the word help because it's very subjective. And you as the business owner, it's kind of it's it's gonna be hard for either side to say, well, you didn't help me. Like you can you can kind of support that you did help somebody in some yeah. degree. Yes, not necessarily hundred percent. So I think yeah. it's a pretty safe word. Okay. And if it makes your marketing copy sound clunky to use may don't use it. Yeah. Okay. So there's kind of, yeah. Use your discretion, I guess on that same train of thought. Now I'm kind of throwing a random question in here, but, um, when you're sharing testimonials, let's say you do like hormone balancing and your clients, like, you know, I was able to like, um, go off the birth control pill or a hundred percent, you know, reduce my, uh, you know, hormonal acne or, you know, one of the things that that specific client might have achieved. Now, if you're sharing that, does that construe like any kind of like promise to the person that might sign up and being like, oh, well, that person had a hundred percent, you know, quote unquote, cured acne, which we might want to be careful saying that anyways. But if, if the client used that words and we're now sharing those words, um, is that a problem that like, should we be careful in even um, relaying that information that a client wrote in a testimonial? Mm, I love this because testimonials, there's a whole uh, approach to doing testimonials legally and ethically. And yes, there is law in Canada and in the U.S. of how to properly use testimonials. So yes, use them. They're allowed, they're legal, and you should use them. They're, they're compelling and most people rely on them. So there is a difference between you as the business owner making promises explicitly in your copy and sharing a testimonial because a testimonial is an individual's own personal lived experience and they're conveying that in their words. So in order for that to actually hold up and be legitimate, your testimonials have to be real. They have to be real people who have paid for your services. Like Ideally, not your mom who you kind of practiced on. You want it to be a legitimate client and it should be in their words. Don't don't make stuff up because that could come back and, and hurt you. And um, in the U.S., you don't have to get consent. This is a kind of an aside. I'm just throwing this in because we're talking about testimonials. In the U.S., you don't technically have to get consent to use a testimonial. In Canada, you do. Mm -hmm. I recommend to everybody, Canada or elsewhere, get consent before you use somebody's testimonial that helps you in two ways. It shows that you respect your client and that you're not going to use their words inappropriately, but then it also gives you that built-in layer of protection that shows that they consented that the, that is their wording, not yours. Yeah. So it's just a good practice for a lot of reasons. Now, the other thing that's really important to do, if you have testimonials, um, you don't have to do this for social media, but definitely on your website, you want to have a statement 
in your terms of use. And I recommend if you have a website, 100% have a terms of use document. That's the house rules for your website. You want to have a little disclaiming statement in there about testimonials and that you want to say that, yes, you share testimonials. They are real clients. They are truthful in their words and that they are examples only and that they should not be construed as an, an outcome that everybody or anybody can achieve, right? So you just want to put yeah. that caveat on there. It's, it's, okay. it's important. Like a safeguard for yourself and for those reading that, yeah. you know, that this is like one person's experience and it might not be the outcome for every person. That comes yeah, results are not typical. And another thing to keep in mind, some of your community members may be uh, regulated professionals, like maybe they're a nurse or they're a physiotherapist and have nutrition qualifications. If you are practicing within the scope of your regulated profession, in addition to using um, your nutrition background, you want to make sure that any of your test your use of testimonials and any marketing, uh, it complies with your regulatory expectations because every regulatory college in Canada, and I imagine it's the same in the US, they have very specific expectations around marketing. Some of them do not allow testimonials at all. Some of them have very specific specifications. So make sure you're complying with your regulatory obligations as well. Okay. That's a great reminder for those. I remember there was a colleague of mine, I think um, there was one direction she wanted to take her nutrition practice, but she was also a nurse. And she had almost at some point came to a a point where she had to choose almost like which one to go with because there were certain things she couldn't say being a nurse and things she wanted to say as a nutritionist. And I think she came, yeah, to this, to this um, point where she had to, to choose which direction. So would that be almost like the like, you know, first figure out what your regulatory body approves. And then if it comes to this crossroads, you would have to make that decision. Like, is that something you ever come across or that's a very like rare um, situation? It happens all the time. And I advise people on this a lot, actually, okay. because there are many people who um, either add on nutrition training as an adjunct to their existing professional qualifications, or they do it in the reverse order. They mm -hmm. Are nutritionists and then they become subsequently qualified to practice a regulated profession. And there are many different ways that you can use that combination of skill sets. And depending on the business model you want and the offerings you want, it uh, can go different ways. And it's not one size fits all. And this is one area in particular where I highly recommend speaking to a lawyer who understands the professional regulatory world, because you, in some cases, may have to sort of relinquish your professional um, designation and your use of title, depending on how you want to use your nutrition skills. And it can help or hinder you. Like in some cases, the nutrition training can open up a whole new world for you. And in some cases, using it in conjunction with professional qualifications can narrow your scope. So this, this requires a very specific detailed consultation to understand, like when I, when I'm consulting with a client around this kind of situation, I want to know what their long-term goals are for their practice, how they want to set up their business, what type of model they want, what kind of earnings do they want to see for themselves. There's so many things that go into this calculation and it's gonna be very specific to every individual. 
Okay. Great answer. So if somebody was sitting there like, oh, this actually sounds like the crossroad I'm at right now. Um, can they reach out to you specifically? Like this is something you can be hired for to do consultations with clients for? Absolutely. Yeah. I do this a lot and um, I do offer a free consult. So happy to speak to anyone who has any, any issues about professional regulation and anything that we're talking about today. Okay. Perfect. Okay. The next question that we had come in was how do I address, um, I put like in quotes, pain points, um, meaning, you know, something that the client might be struggling with. Maybe it is, you know, with the hormonal example, like, um, hormonal acne or period issues, or, you know, really speaking to those, um, maybe symptoms that somebody is, uh, struggling with. So how do you address pain points in your content without making it seem like you're trying to diagnose or heal any of those symptoms? Yeah. So it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about your copywriting and making sure that you're not promising anything. You are highlighting, showcasing what your offerings can do for somebody. And you, you know, the the goal here is you're trying to show people that your offering is the magic solution to their problem, right? Like that's kind of the whole craft of copywriting. The thing to keep in mind and um, kind of builds on what I said earlier is that marketing to do it ethically is you don't want it to be manipulative. So you don't want to sort of prey on people's vulnerabilities. You don't really want to sort of make these overly emotional appeals. Now, that of course is like that's what is behind selling, right? Like sales copy is supposed to make an emotional appeal. So you're dancing a really fine line here between being compelling and not being manipulative. Where is that line? I don't know. It's a really subjective thing. And so it's kind of like, it's going to just kind of like, you know, manipulation when you see it and you feel it. Right. So I would say if there's anything questionable that you have on your website, or if you're developing your copy, ask some other people for advice, like kind of do, do like some crowdsourcing, um, just to get people's take on it. Um, maybe have like, you know, consult with a lawyer, get their take on it. Um, if you are regulated, you might want to consult your regulatory body and say, Hey, is this okay? Would this raise any flags with you? So there's a number of checks and balances you can do. And, um, yeah, so don't, don't avoid talking about pain points, just kind of do it in a mindful way. Yeah. And I guess I'd even add, um, you know, it might be something that you would do is like ask a colleague, like a nutrition colleague, you know, can you read over my website, you know, because they're coming from the similar perspective you are and just like, you know, does this make sense? But they might not see those uh, nuances that maybe a regular everyday person who isn't entrenched in nutrition would see, or they wouldn't hear, you know, some of those some of the language being used to describe symptoms or pain points. So I was just thinking maybe it makes sense to even have like your grandma or somebody that's like not at all in this world, read it to see like the, like you were mentioning that emotional piece. And if there feels like there's any kind of like manipulation attached to it. Yeah, absolutely. And this is also where very artful use of testimonials can really help you because sometimes if you put, if you allow the testimonial to speak through your yeah. client's words, then you don't have to necessarily come up with the wording yourself. So it's kind of, there's a whole dance to this yeah. and like a good website designer will help you 
use use testimonials in strategic places and work with the copy. So um, yeah, just another another way, another thing to think about. Okay. And is there anything you can think like off the top of your head that you just like would recommend you do not ever say, you know, in your copy, like I know in school we learn like trying well, do not say like treat, heal, cure, and be like very clear you're not using those words. Would you also agree with that? Or are there any more you would add in? Yeah, there's a lot. Um, any kind of superlative. So the best. This is the best program. Any a superlative is anything where you are claiming to be the cream of the crop, the best in a way that cannot be substantiated, right? Unless you actually won an award from a recognizable source that people would be able to identify. Don't call yourself Canada's leading nutritionist because I, for one thing, it doesn't mean anything. Anybody can say that and it actually dis it, it discredits you, right? Because it's, it's a meaningless claim. So avoid things like that. Um, some people feel like you need to have this to kind of like puff yourself up, but it really, it's, it's not the best way. Like there's much more convincing ways to sell yourself than to use like superlatives and these kind of bogus claims. So definitely steer clear of that. Um, yeah, not, not promising outcomes, not using words that clearly are protected um, and belong to a regulated professional, like prescribing, diagnosing, curing. We can't do any of those things. Um, yeah, what else? Um, oh, another thing that might come up in nutrition is around weight loss and using photos before and after photos. Don't use stock photography. Any photos that you should use should be of your real clients and also be really, really careful. Um, I think it's a bit of a danger zone to use before and after photos specifically around weight loss um, because weight loss is so highly variable and it the photos do like, you know, picture speaks a thousand words. So you just want to be careful that that may oversell um, what you're offering to people in a way that you can't deliver on that. So just, just be cautious. It doesn't mean don't use before and after photos, but just that's one gray zone where I've seen it not done well off pretty often enough that it's like left an impression on me. I'm like, Oh, okay. Not, not a great way to go about it. Okay. That's really good to know. Okay. So we have a couple more questions that came in beforehand, and then we'll take some of the live questions after as well. So uh, this question is all about email lists and adding people to your email list. So um, uh, there's a, a few layers here. So <laughs> what do we um, have to do or what do we not have to do when adding people to our email list? Like, do are we required to do a double opt-in? So when somebody adds themselves, do they then have to get a secondary email that requires them to then opt in, you know, a second time to confirm. Um, do you want to answer that one? And then I can maybe add in the other ones after. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So in Canada, the United States and the European Union, the EU, there is legislation around um, it's anti-spam legislation and it lays out how you can and cannot solicit uh, or market to people using email. And it also includes like other digital communications like uh, texting, like mass texting. So the number one thing you have to know is that you can only add somebody to your email list if they explicitly consent. So that means they have to opt in yeah. and you have to give them the option to opt out. So let's say you, okay, let's say like, let's use this example right now. And like, I can't say, Stephanie, can you give me the email addresses of everybody who is on this call today? 
and then I add them to my list because that is not me getting express consent from everybody. So you cannot swap email lists. You can't add people like let's say somebody you have your email address on your website and somebody sends you an email. You can't add that person to your email list. You can respond to them and say, hey, if you're interested in more, check out my, you know, get my freebie or whatever. Join my yeah. list. You have to give them the the autonomy of making their own choice. And yeah. again, have to have a very clear opt out. And the great news is that if you're using any of the big commercially available email management programs, Flowdesk, um, any, MailChimp, any, uh, yeah, kid, anything those, like that, yeah, they're all compliant with yes. Canada, US, and EU law. So you're good. The EU has the highest standards, and they their best practice is the expectation of a double opt in. However, I know as a business owner, it's a, it's another hurdle. I personally don't use the double opt-in myself. Yeah. Um, I think it's a bit of another barrier and I we want to reduce the barriers to entry because this is, you're, you're building your, you know, yeah. this is a marketing tool and you're building your list. So you want to make it easy for people. I feel as long as you are complying with the basics of a, an explicit opt-in, an explicit opt-out, yeah. don't add people um, without consent, that's that's going to put you in good standing. Yeah. Um, you can't spam people, like that's the whole point of this legislation. So just be respectful in how you're using your list. Don't share your list, don't sell your list, mm -hmm. um, things like that. Those are really important. Yeah. Okay. And, and don't, don't manage it yourself. Like use one of those platforms because they are built, like they have those safeguards in place. Don't do it yourself. That's what I was also wondering is, you know, I know a lot of people, especially early on in their business, they're trying to, you know, not spend as much out of pocket as they can. So um, for lack of a better word, there's a lot of cutting corners sometimes. And one of those is just like collecting emails and sending them out from your personal email, like, a, you know, in a weekly newsletter, but then there's no unsubscribe. So is that technically not allowed? Like you should not be doing that. It's not a great practice. And it's not a great practice also because the personal Gmail account, let's say it's not going to have the same level of encryption. Like this is a whole mm -hmm. other topic, but uh, especially when you're in health and wellness and you're communicating information about health and wellness, you want to use a, a, a um, email server that has some level of encryption. The Google business suite is not perfect. They only encrypt messages that are in transit while going from point A to point B. But once that message has landed in someone's inbox, there's it's no longer encrypted. So this is a, a different conversation, but um, and certainly like in the beginning stages of a business and even for more sophisticated businesses, it may not be practical to have like a state of the art separate separate server. Yeah. But just know that that is a that is an issue and you want to make sure your email is safe. So I know it's hard. I'm I'm in the same boat and we all want to stretch our operating dollars as far as they can go. But this is really one, given how important it is to build your community and have a list, it is it is an area that is worth prioritizing for sure. Okay. Okay. Great to know. Um, so then I guess this answers the person's um, question of, can I add people who inquire about my services? I'm going to mm -hmm. expect you would say, um, you know, if you then, if they inquire and you say, would you like to join my email list or here's a link that is the one and only way they can be added ethically. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then the next question, this is one I'm actually super curious about because I have, I'll be 
super transparent. I've told my clients, I think you're allowed to do this. So let's like answer this question once and for all. Can you actually, let's say you're on social media and you're trying to promote your freebie or you're promoting like an upcoming workshop. Um, and, but the people need to opt in, um, you know, to get access to this freebie or, or the workshop details. Can you actually just like add a, let's say in a Instagram story, can you say, Hey, like if you want to be added to my list, or if you want to be added to this workshop, um, pop in your email into this, you know, one of those question boxes. So they're physically putting their email address in, is that enough of an opt-in or will there still be issues with, um, doing it that way? Oh, that's totally fine. You can do it in any way. Like you can even go old school and have people write their name, write their email addresses on a piece of paper, and then you manually enter them. Okay. You, as long as they are forthcoming with their email address, it's all good. Okay. And you're explicit saying like you will be added, mm-hmm. and like also you can always opt out. Like you kind of always just safeguarding yourself that way. Totally okay. fine. Okay, perfect. I like that answer. Okay. <laughs> the last one that we got um, submitted beforehand is are there any guidelines or restrictions about working with clients in other um, countries? So this person lives in Toronto and they're wondering if they need like different insurance or different like legal support or um, legal contracts potentially to work with clients internationally. Yeah. So there definitely are issues when you offer your services across international borders and even sometimes within um, like Canada or the United States. So, okay, let's talk about insurance first. Insurance is always territorial and it is always based in your home country. And it will usually cover you for everywhere in your country. And usually, not 100% of the time, but usually for nutritionists, because it's a relatively low risk service, um, a Canadian provider will usually cover you for exposure to the US. Meaning if you have clients in the US and they bring a claim against you, probably you will be covered. And I believe also the same for the U.S. because Canadian clients are perceived as lower risk than American clients are to Canada. There's this perception that, you know, the U.S. is very litigious. So you want to make sure, clarify this with your insurance company and make sure that your policy does cover you. There may be limitations on it. Like it might say, this policy covers you for exposure to U.S. claims as long as your percentage of U.S. revenue is like 10% of your total net revenue, something like that, right? It might be limited. So you might have to get a different policy if more of your clients are outside of Canada and whatnot. So best way, check directly with your insurance company or if you're shopping for a policy, make sure that you are very open about what your prospective breakdown will be, whether it's in the US or other places around the world, because if you don't have the proper coverage and a claim is brought against you, that policy is not going to help you. So your policy has to be a perfect fit for what you actually do and who you actually serve. Um, Yeah, so Bonnie says here, her insurer had a box to tick if it was working in the yes. Yeah, so you're covered up to 50-50. Great. I've seen the different split. So it really depends on what modalities you're offering, what the company is, what the size of the coverage that you're looking for. Yeah, few, you know, right? Relief. Um, So it's a multifactorial um, answer. It's gonna, it's gonna depend. Um, Okay, so that's the insurance side of it. Uh, Now, if you don't have coverage for the US, which is probably unlikely, 
You may have to top up your coverage with a separate policy that will cover you. And if you shop around enough, I'm sure you will find that because nutrition is a pretty low risk business in the eyes of an insurance company. So usually not a problem. Um, and there are other issues. So you mentioned, do you need specific legal advice? Do you, are there limitations on what you can do? So it will depend on the jurisdiction and what professions are regulated in that um, in that jurisdiction because we want to be concerned about scope creep. Because of course, nutrition in Canada, it's not a regulated profession. The title nutritionist is regulated in some in some states in the US, but not all of them. So it's a state by state situation. And you just want to make sure that you are not offering services that will encroach on the scope of somebody else, like a regulated professional. So you want to be careful about that. Also, you um, if you are a regulated professional yourself and you're combining nutrition with another profession, you will have to make sure that you can offer your services outside of your home jurisdiction. Some professions have pretty strict limits on whether you can do like telehealth or cross-border practice. It's going to be case by case depending on jurisdiction and profession. So there's a lot of things to think about. It's kind of a not a nice, neat answer because there's so much that goes into it. Um, in terms of your legal agreements, so you wanna, this is one reason why you wanna have a really good legal agreement, like a client service agreement, whenever you are working with somebody one-on-one -on -one or in a group, because your legal agreement should have a governing jurisdiction clause that will say this agreement is subject to the laws of British Columbia, Alberta, whatever it is. And that is the law that will apply. You get to choose. So whether you have clients in your home country or home province, state, or you know across jurisdictions, you will always be governed by the laws of your home, which is what you want, because it's usually gonna be more favorable to you. So make sure you are getting good, good legal agreements that are drafted by a lawyer, because that's a really important clause. And you also want to be transparent with people. Something that I notice on a lot of websites is I, because we're all working in this virtual context, people are not always aware where a business is located. And I think it's a good thing to put somewhere in your website, whether it's in your about section, like, you know, like I'm based in Los Angeles or Toronto, whatever it is, yeah. or it's something that you want to put in your terms of use, which is another legal document that you should have drafted by a lawyer because it's part of transparency because anybody who's doing business with you, they have the right to know where you're located because that could affect their legal rights. Yeah. Um, it could be more favorable for them or less favorable for them. And there's also like the currency that you're charging and you want to be really transparent about that because um, somebody might incur a loss on the currency exchange. So these are things that you just should be very transparent about when you're dealing with somebody. Um, and for practical reasons too, there might be like a scheduling issue if somebody's in a different time zone. So the more you disclose about these practical things about your business, the better. Um, oh, here's another thing. This is kind of an aside, but it just, it made me think of this. Like, cause I see a lot of websites that people don't disclose where they are located. I see a lot of websites and in, in, in the nutrition space and the wellness space, people might introduce themselves by their first name 
use your full legal name, like your first name and your last name, because people need to know who you are. Mm -hmm. And this is really important, not just from a legal perspective, but this is how you build trust with somebody, right? Like the no like trust factor. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that says, don't trust me because I won't even tell you my full name, right? You want to just use your full name. Like, don't be shy. You're out there to sell something. And, And like, I know there's sort of this, um, apprehension sometimes of like putting yourself out there and making yourself known, but please use your full name. Like people need to know who you are. (laughs) Would that also be said about putting a picture of yourself on the website? Like, is that a legal requirement so that someone knows you're a real person? No. Yeah. So no, not a, not a legal requirement, but it's just good business sense. Right. Cause it's like, it's about building that connection. It's about being transparent and like, you want someone to trust you, right. You're asking a lot of somebody to come to you to help improve their health and wellness. And you, you want to make that easy for them. And you also like you are you and you are bringing to the table something only you can bring and people won't be able to find out how awesome you are if they don't know who you are. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Okay. We had another question come in kind of on the same lines of the the legal documents. So somebody mentioned they bought a client contract and a HIPAA form um, from um, an online like service, an online legal service. um, And they're asking, should I go through it with a lawyer? Like, even though it was a document that they purchased from a resource, should they still go through it with a lawyer and have a lawyer check over their website for privacy disclosure statements, et cetera? Um, Kind of what are the rules there? Yeah. So it's not so much about a rule. It's more about doing your due diligence and not all legal templates are created equally, even if they are created by a lawyer, because unless you know who that lawyer is and what their background is and what their jurisdiction is, it might not be a great fit for your business and for a number of reasons. Um, It's really, it's really like we're in a very specific niche. So the more somebody understands that niche, the better the agreement will actually serve your needs. Um, You want I see a lot of Canadians using American templates. I can spot this in five seconds flat. So here's the thing. As a lawyer, when I look at a legal agreement, in seconds, I can tell if it was drafted by a lawyer. And that is the same for any other lawyer. And this is the thing. Your clients may not know that your agreements were drafted by a lawyer. But if it ever comes to a situation where they get lawyers involved, that lawyer will know in five seconds who drafted your agreement and that will be used against you. They will punch holes in it. So that's why it's so important. It doesn't matter until it matters. Right. And that's kind of why, why it's such an important investment. So if you've bought them from somewhere or you've gotten them anywhere, uh, unless you know exactly who wrote them, I would, I do think it's like, I do think it's a smart investment and it, it, you know, it's a one-time fee. It's not a huge expense, but it really is worth it. And just for the peace of mind and to know that you've just got that solid foundation. Okay. That makes sense. So I know that you specifically, you mentioned at the beginning, you sell legal templates, like specifically for health and wellness professionals as well. So if somebody purchased a template from you, would they also then need to um, book a session, like a legal session with you to then see how they've utilized a contract to look at their website and to go through those pieces or when they purchase from you directly, is that kind of the due diligence enough because you are a lawyer in this space? Yeah, good question. So there's really two ways that I um, offer contracts to people. One is 
if you hire me to be your lawyer, I can do a custom contract and that way it is exactly tailored to your needs and you've got, you know, it's vetted by me because I'm the one who drafts it. All of the templates that I have available on my website, I personally have drafted them myself and you, I've taken all the guesswork out of it. Like there is just many layers of explanation. So you don't have to guess at anything. I have a guidebook. It's all crystal clear for you exactly like how to make it fit for you. What every clause means you'll never be in the dark. That said, it's not a substitute for getting legal advice. So I have had people purchase my templates and they have come to me and I've done a review for them just because they want that extra layer of security. I've done my best to make the contract be sort of self-sufficient that if you follow it according to the instructions that I've built in, you're pretty good to go. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be some gray area and some wiggle room because every business is different and you can't design a contract for every single eventuality, but you should be good. But if you have any lingering doubts, just, you know, definitely reach out to a lawyer. And so Taryn asks, are we looking for a contract lawyer? Mm -hmm. Yes. You're looking for a contract lawyer and a contract lawyer who understands like a, the nutrition world be the nutrition world in an online setting, if that's how you practice, because uh, it's a really nuanced and then see a lawyer who's, who understands your jurisdiction. Okay. Oh, and I can just also mention that right now, all my contracts on my website, they're available for Canada, but I also have them all, every single one is available for the US and I'm going to be launching that on the site soon, but that, that is coming. And if you are in the US and you're looking for contracts, you can contact me because they are for sale exactly what I have for Canadians now. Well, I was about to say, you were saying A, B, and C. I'm like, well, you check off all of those boxes, which is great <laughs> because again, I know I've kind of a broken record, but it's so nice to have a lawyer working in this space. You have your own practice, nutrition practice as well. Do you not? I do. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, the fact that you're like actually practicing and, you know, uh, a lawyer as well, you can really come from both of those perspectives, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, we did get a question about cost. I'm not, I'm sure it's like so variable depending on which contract and, you know, are you adding like some kind of legal consult consultation on, can you even just give us maybe like a ballpark of what it might look like to buy a legal template? Yeah. If you buy them directly from my shop, I think the client contract is going to be something like, I can't, I can't even remember because I have like 28 different ones. I'm going to say between 350 and 450. If you buy the individual one terms of use, probably somewhere in that ballpark as well. I, um, did a lot of homework when I priced my products. So they are in line with other comparable service providers out there. So um, yeah, that's kind of the, the kind of the going rate. Yeah. Um, you may find them cheaper or more expensive. There's again, it's it's very um, variable. Uh, now, if you wanted a custom contract, it is more expensive because I, it, my time has to be factored in. If you purchase a template and you wanted me to review it, it would depend on what agreement it is because of the length involved. And it would depend on how many there are. So that's a kind of a, a variable cost, but it, it's not like I, I, if somebody's already purchased my agreements, like I kind of want as a gesture of goodwill, like I'm, I'm you know, very fair about what I charge to do a review yeah. and the extent of review needed, because I, I do stand behind my contracts and I also don't want to make more of a barrier for somebody. So yeah, there's a lot of variability and um, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, No, thank you for being transparent. I feel like that. I mean, I know for me personally, when I started my business, you know, I was just thinking, what are the costs involved? And I'm, you're almost like, I didn't want to seem like an amateur emailing a lawyer to be like, how much would this cost? Like, you know, I've just, I wanted more transparency of numbers. So I really appreciate that you're being so transparent about like the cost associated. And, you know, I think this always will bring up Again, I mentioned in this um, chat already that, you know, a lot of us starting out, we're very, you know, conscious about spending and investing money in our business. Now, do you have any um, situations where you've seen people not invest in contracts and it costs a lot more kind of down the line? Like, do you think like, you know, also speaking for, as a nutritionist and let's say you weren't a lawyer, like, do you think that this is like one of the must have things as a foundation for your business when just starting out, even though it is maybe a higher cost? Yeah. And I, I was, so about the cost. Yeah. The, yeah. There is a bit of a, you know, a cost hurdle there, which I, I get, but it's a cost of doing business. Right. And we have yeah. to think about our business as a legitimate business venture, not as a hobby, even if it starts off the side of your desk, when you are offering services to the public, there is a, there's like, it's like a covenant. It was like an exchange of trust. Somebody is coming to you and they're putting their trust in you. And you have that obligation as a professional providing service or products, you want to serve their best interests. And I always say that one of the best ways to serve your clients, to nurture the relationship is to respect them through honesty, open communication, clarity, transparency, and that contract is a vehicle to do that. I, I know there's a lot of kind of, we, we think of these things as like, oh, it's a legal must have. And it's kind of not a nice way to see it, even though there is that aspect, but I much prefer to think of it as like, this is a relationship builder. This is a practice builder. This is a bit, this is what, this will grow your business in a very high integrity way. So think about it like that. It's a one-time cost. Um, I can speak for my own contracts. The templates, I don't think of them as like a starter kit. Like I, I recommend them for people starting out, but they will last you the entire life of your business. So it's a one-time cost. It's a startup cost. It's a deductible business cost. And the what you get from the templates are as good as what I could custom draft. The custom drafting only comes in where there's like specific different Very situations cool. that need yeah. like a custom job. So it's really like just one of those things. It's, it's part of doing business, like having your, uh, using a professional platform to manage your email list. Like there are certain things you can't get away with. Yeah. Let's say when it comes to anything legal, it will always cost more money down the road to, to like do damage control. It's just like health, right? We, we know that health works best when you're preventive, same thing with law, like just, just do it up front. Um, as soon as it's, as soon as it's like you, you it's feasible for you, right. It might not be like within your first six months, but it is definitely worth like earmarking some money to make sure you have that because things can happen. Like somebody can have an issue with you, like a client or even somebody who's not a client, they can bring a claim against you or they can, you know, cause you strife at any point. It could be like day one in business. And actually I'll share an example. It's my own example. And it happened with my contract shop and it was within the first six months of being in business. Somebody bought a package of mine. And I think the package goes for $1,700. Not it's not a small amount of money. And I have very clearly worded terms of use that I don't offer refunds because the nature of digital goods is like you buy it, it's already in your inbox and you own the product. 
But for whatever reason, this individual asked me for a refund and I was happy to give them the refund. And there was a bit of a snag in terms of issuing the refund because I use a third-party platform to do the transaction and the money wasn't flowing back to this individual immediately. So unbeknownst to me, this individual called Visa and issued a credit card chargeback for the full amount. And then I got notified by Visa saying, explain yourself. Why? Because what happens is if you are a vendor and a client brings a credit card chargeback against you, you have a very short amount of time. They give you like 48 hours or something like that. You have to present your defense because Visa is going to give you a small amount of time to make your case. There's a little grace period. And that is when you bring out your client service agreement and say, here it is in black and white. I have a no refund policy. Here's my email trail where I told the client I would, yes, happily give them a refund, even though it's against my policy. I've done everything I can to make this person happy, even though I'm taking a loss and my digital products are out in the world. So it ended up working out. I, I was happy to give the refund. I didn't have... <laughs> to go through visa because when the client um, realized that, oh, there's serious repercussions to me as the vendor when you do a credit card chargeback, they then went to visa and canceled it. Mm. Now what happens is if the credit card chargeback had gone ahead, that's a strike against me as a vendor. So just mm -hmm. keep in mind, you don't wanna be in that position because it hurts your credit score, right? So you want to, <laughs> you don't want that to happen because you want your business to be in good standing. So that was my own personal example. It happened in the first six months of my business. And if I had not had a really strong terms of use for my product, I wouldn't have had a leg to stand on. I would have had lost the money on the sale and I would have had a hit against me by Visa and I would have had so much stress. I, I was stressed, even though I yeah. kind of know how to navigate this situation. I lost sleep. I took a whole day out of my life to draft my defense and collect all my evidence. It was a lot. And I don't want that to happen to people, yeah. especially if this is like not your domain. It's, it's, it's hard. It's not, um, it's hard enough to run a business. So really like make your, make your life easy, uh, take care of yourself in your business and having like just get, get the right agreements, get the right legal support is one of the best things you can do to yeah. just nurture yourself. And, and then that passes on, right. That energy of like, you feel confident that confidence passes on to your clients really and truly. Oh, a thousand percent. I know that for a long time I was piecemealing contracts together, which I'm not proud of. Um, I'm thinking, you know, it's fine. Like nothing should happen. And then as soon as I invested in, um, proper legal contracts, I was just like, oh my gosh, a weight lifted off. I felt so much better. I, you know, I feel really confident sharing all my offers now, knowing that I have like really strong legal contracts. I can refer back to the contracts. I also don't have a refund. I have a no refund policy because of the digital nature of my online chorus. And I've had to refer to it lots of times. So it's actually given me confidence in response to emails that might come in requesting a refund because I can say as per the contract or as per the terms of terms and conditions. So I I feel like it just, yeah, I, I agree that the confidence level goes up when you feel secure in the documents that you have in place. 
Yeah, thank you for sharing your personal experience. And it's so right what you said, that it is so much easier to point to something in writing. That's why you want it in writing, because it just takes that load off of you where you don't feel like you are backed in a corner and that you have to make arbitrary decisions on the spot, or you don't have to make that judgment call like, am I being fair? Am I treating everybody equitably? You're treating everybody the same because it's already written in your contract and you just simply refer to it in a, you know, and when you have it in writing, it makes it a lot more amicable. Like, yeah. believe it or not, that's why I say like, it, it's about a mindset shift. Like instead of seeing like these legal documents as sort of a barrier, like see them as a bridge, they really foster communication and, and just relationship building. And then it, it's then incumbent on the other party who signed it to look at it and say like, oh, right. I did agree to that. Okay. Absolutely. Let's, let's come to a resolution. It really just, it, it's a big, it's a bridge builder really. <laughs> Yeah. The last thing I'll say too, is I wish I did invest in them early on in my business because the lack of confidence was there in early on. And when somebody would ask for a refund, I didn't, I wasn't like strong in my terms and conditions for my business. So I would bend a lot and I would break my own boundaries, Mm -hmm. you know, to kind of say, well, whatever that person wants, because I didn't have them agree to anything that was quite clear. And now I have that. And exactly like you said, I don't feel like I have to be biased or unbiased to anyone. It's the same standard for everybody. And it feels uh, just like, yeah, again, just like that confidence builder to be like, okay, my business has now grown and there's a lot more people involved, a lot more transactions. Um, But if, you know, like, I think having that early on in your business will just give you the confidence to continue to, um, you know, have these terms in place and, and, um, not once you've grown big, right? Like I think a lot of people wait until they've grown big to implement all these things, but you almost need them in place so that you can grow big. And so that you have yes. the confidence to do so. That's right. Absolutely. And you're no less legitimate as a business on day one than you are like day, you know, year five or 10, like it's yeah. really like you want to kind of hit the ground running and you owe it to your first client, your 50th client, your, you know, thousandth client to provide that same level. And also I want to say too, that like, it's great how you mentioned that the agreements gave you that confidence early on because it, you know, it was there in writing. The nice thing too, is that when you have it in writing, whatever your policy is, let's say it's a refund policy, you have the discretion as a business owner to override that. Like in my Mm -hmm. example, I have a no refund policy, but I chose to give the refund as a matter of goodwill, because that's what I felt right about doing in that context. I could have said no, I I will say no in different contexts, but in that situation, it was the right thing to do. And I'm glad that I had that, that ability to offer that to that person, because that, that is what best served them and best served me in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks um, so much for sharing the personal stories. I think it always, brings it into perspective a little bit better. Cause I think, especially when it comes to legal and contracts, like, you know, for those of us that didn't go to school or didn't learn this second nature, it can feel at least for me overwhelming. So to have somebody so knowledgeable, but also sharing the, the real life scenarios that could happen, I think just again, puts it into perspective. So um, thank you so much. This was so amazing of you to take your time to share with my Launcher Nutrition Biz community. And again, for everyone listening on the podcast, I know that you do offer Launcher Nutrition Biz students an exclusive discount to your contract. So we'll make sure to make that available. And if people want to learn more about your um, legal services or your legal contracts, where would they find you? 
you can reach out to me at hello at thrivelegalcare.com and check out my website, thrivelegalcare.com and the tlcsource.com. Both of those are my websites. Um, you'll find my contact info easily either way. And um, I'm happy to hear from, from your community. I offer a free consult so we can kind of chat a bit more about what your needs are and then take it from there. Awesome. Thanks so much, Sharon, for coming. This was great. I'm sure this isn't the last time I'll have you come and support the community if you're open to it, because um, you're such a wealth of knowledge. And um, I know everybody's saying thank you so much. So informative and really appreciate all the knowledge that you shared today. Oh, I'm so grateful, Stephanie. I love um, talking to this community because it's my community. These are my colleagues. And I just really want all of us as a profession to raise the bar for how we're serving people. And I, yeah, I'm here to support, support you all. So I'm honored to be back and yeah, I would love to, I'd love to be back again. Thanks for listening in. If you like this episode, feel free to leave us a review, share the episode with a friend or take us on social media. Catch you next time.